Episode 151 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. Khalil Amiri from the United Arab Emirates, and currently I'm a captain of the 777. And yeah, I've been doing this for the past 13 years. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's podcast is another recommendation by Rico. You can follow him at Adventures of Rico on Instagram. Uh, it's a pretty crazy account, so get ready when you go there, but it's definitely worth it. Uh, Rico reached out to some of his friends. Uh, hopefully, they have some more on. They uh, encompass more of the international scene of aviation. I'm talking today with Khalil, who is from the UAE, and he talks about what it's like to grow up in Dubai and the UAE and aviation through their eyes. Uh, some of the experiences that they've gone through, how it's a very, very young country and where they're coming up from and just how they operate. It's very interesting to hear the differences between aviation over there compared to Europe, compared to the United States. So I'm very excited about this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, follow us on Instagram at Pile the Pile and Twitter, stepping up the Twitter game at Pile the Pile as well. Also, huge plug for Patreon. 2021 is the year of Patreon. I've already released three videos, I believe it is, on Patreon. It's already the third day when I'm recording this of January. So Patreon is where it's at. Full video podcasts. I'm doing videos, kind of not really vlogs, but videos about my week as a pilot. I'm also doing clips. There's just a lot going on there. And my newest feature that I'm really excited about is you have the opportunity to, to help me get interviews. So we'll keep a Google Doc of who I should interview and also ask rapid fire questions. I'm going to have only Patreon posed rapid fire questions where you tell me the question to ask and I will ask it for them. So make sure to check it out. Patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. You might be asking why Patreon and why I'm spending so much time talking about it right now. I want to buy an airplane. Uh, It is not possible right now. So uh, Patreon is probably the best and fastest way to get there. So a 206 Turbo is the goal, but uh, that's a long way away. But in the meantime, I just appreciate all your support, Patreon or not. Uh, If you follow me on Instagram, I thank you so much. Follow me on Twitter. Thank you. But Aviation, I want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Khalil. Khalil, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, how you doing, Justin? Finally, finally. I I know, man. (laughs) Uh, This is another, uh, I have to give a shout out to Rico again, man. Rico just keeps hooking me up with some people to interview, so I might have to start paying him one day, and I I don't like that. Absolutely. Rico is rich, so don't worry about Rico. All right, so Rico can pay me then. I'm giving Rico shout outs, so he should be paying me, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm going to send him a bill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, we can talk crap about Rico more later, but I want to get into uh, your story of aviation. Um, I'm really interested to see how you got to where you are today, how you decided to become a pilot. But uh, first, let's talk a little about you. Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, and let's kind of get some of that out of the way. All right, cool. So, uh, Khalil Amiri, I'm from Dubai, fourth generation for my 49-year-old country. We're not that, we're not that old. So I'm the fourth generation. My father was a was a tank operator. My grandfather was in the army as well. And uh, you know what? He was doing sort of what you're doing now, like uh, recording and broadcasting. So you had this old recorder 
that he used to go all around the UAE and recording the events and all that. And uh, yeah, he was a historian in a way because uh, we had a lot of the Brits coming, the British, when they were in the UAE, they were here. And he was taking them around and explaining about different tribes and different uh, aspects of the country, culture and all that. And um, my mother is an English teacher. And at some point she was a nurse. So um, I have two siblings, a brother and a sister. My brother is an engineer and one of the local airlines here. Uh, he does airframe and engine. And my sister... She wanted to get into ATC control, but uh, unfortunately, she never got lucky. So currently, she's a banker. I told her not to give up on it. So we're still working on that part. So if we if, if we do that, we can start our own airline, I believe. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> so are you, is there any aviation in the history of your family, or is this uh, kind of new? The three of you are kind of starting your own trend and uh, creating a generation of aviators? It was, it was actually, we just, you see, the thing is, I come from a disciplined family. So uh, both my parents were always encouraging us to, especially with education, you know, they spend a lot on our education. I'll, I'll give them that. But then after high school, they were like, you find your path, you do your thing. We got you, we got you to here. So from here onwards, just find your own path, but don't disappoint us. And yeah, so my that's that's how it happened. So we just worked really hard, all three of us. So my my brother became an engineer. My sister now currently banker, and uh, my wife used to be an ex cabin crew with the same company. That yeah, with the same company. So I'm, so married, and I have uh, one daughter. She's she's three and then four months years old. Four four months, three years and four months. Future pilot, right? Ah, let's let's see about that. I, mean, I don't know. 20, 20 years from now, you know, it'll be all drones. That's true. <laughs> Who knows? Let's hope not, right? <laughs> yeah. That's cool, though. Um, um, yeah. I, I talk a little bit with, I've never really talked to someone from the Middle East that grew up in aviation and started flying out there. I'm really interested to know if there is or what the general aviation community looks like. Is it possible just to go to the air, airport or your local airport and go fly a 172 like it is in the States? Or is that kind of a big no-no? And then for training as well, is there flight schools there? Or do they usually get sourced out to the States or England or Europe? You see, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, since we are relatively to the whole world, we are a new country. Uh, again, there used to be Trojans before, but as United Arab Emirates is 49, and we just celebrated our 49th uh, birthday, I mean, birthday, you can say. Yeah, congratulations, uh, happy birthday. The, thanks, <laughs> thank you. It was on the 2nd of December. So relatively, it was always uh, being, being, being who we are. We always were dependent on the foreign, let's say, educators, I'd call them, educators. So you have... You have pilots that were ex whatever airline that they were working with. They came to the UAE and they say they taught us the ABCs. So now I think with all that knowledge that we have, there there's a lot of pilots and aviators that are actually very very passionate about what they're doing. And I'd say that you know it's it's time for us to shine. So that was I mean again. All them, all them pilots and aviators that came came across our path, they were uh, they were very very helpful to re- to let us reach where we are now. 
But uh, now I'd say that after I'm, I'm the third, third generation of Emirati pilots. And as I said, it's not much yeah. So uh, I think from, from here onwards, we kind of we found our way. And when we talk about schools, they just started. They just started with the, what they call the flying clubs. So there's one, there's one in the north of the UAE where you can just, and they actually painted them in really nice and cool colors, let's say that, yeah. And you can just hop in, rent it out, and fly out. However, however, I must admit, it's not as flexible as how it is in the U.S. Because I know one of my friends, he just hops in a 172 in Florida, ends up somewhere else, has a burger, goes to the movies, hops in the aircraft, comes back and lands on the same base he rented the aircraft, you know. Hopefully, hopefully, eventually we'll get to that. I believe because it's more flexible there because you guys have the Gulf airspace. And with the Gulf airspace, it, it makes it more flexible for, for aviators that are not pro, a profession in this job. I mean, they don't have like a commercial job, but it's more of kind of fun and just to have fun. So it's more flexible for them back in the States. Here, uh, this is, again, don't quote me. It's just my own opinion. I believe because of the status and the wealth that is around, <laughs> if they started doing that, no one will buy cars anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a problem. <laughs> yeah, that would be a problem. So they're starting slowly in, uh, towards that direction. And with flying schools, we have one school in Sharjah that belongs to the local airline there called Alpha. And we have another school called Horizon, which is in Al Ain. And uh, we have the Emirates Flying Academy, which is in Dubai. So for now, we have three different academies. For someone, so say there is a young kid growing up in, in Dubai or uh, a different city. Um, what does yeah. the path look like for them right now? If they want to be a pilot, is it do as well as you can in school and then apply once you are either graduated from what we call high school or college? Or is there a special track that you're supposed to go down? And then do they send you to Europe to do your training? Or like you said, with those flight schools that they have, they try to do it all in country. To answer that question, I can tell you the, the background, the story of my life. And I believe if I tell you, it's a small, it's a short story. I won't take much of your oh, no, time. Tell but, away. Uh, <laughs> If I share that story, I think it will answer all the all all that question. Yeah, that I was going to ask you that later. Oh. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it will answer. So I will tell you. I'll tell you now. So what happened was I graduated from high school, and the problem was I was 15 years old. I skipped two years. Don't ask. <laughs> so, so we got a smart guy on our hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> so I skipped. I skipped two years. And I graduated at 15 years old. The problem is at 15 years old, no, the, the way it works here that the airlines or any other, not just specifically airlines, but any other companies, if you have high grades, they will kind of give you sponsorship. So they will educate you. They will spend on you and give you a monthly allowance. So all, everything in regard, regarding college will be paid for. You'll have a monthly allowance. And once you finish, let's say three years or four years, you will you will have a job guaranteed with them because they spend all the money and they want you to work for them and kind of repay them back in a way. So that's how it works here in the UAE. Whether you want to be a doctor, whether you want to be an engineer, a pilot, what the government does or the companies that are here do, the, they sponsor you. 
depending on your grades and of course after the interview if you are the right guy for them they decide okay Khalil let's say he's he, he he'd be good for us later on in the future so let's invest in him so what they do is these sponsorships I believe they're an investment they're a long-term investment because as we all know education is a very expensive field so you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get your bachelor degrees or master degrees or or even get your like for example flying the flying license to get an ATPL it costs you around two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars just to get just just to get to a frozen ATPL not even that's without you to unfreeze it you need to get one thousand five hundred hours on a jet so it's it's a bit of a loop that's where people struggle to get them jet hours. It's, it's a long, long loop, and uh, it's a sorry, big loop that uh, could be difficult. So what these airlines do here depends on whatever, whatever Emirates it's in. They sponsor people. They sponsor the students. So they graduate from high school. They look at their grades. They interview them, and they invest in them and give them a monthly salary, which we're blessed in that matter. So, uh, so what happened with me? I finished high school. I uh, I went to a couple of different airlines, and they didn't take me at the beginning because they were like, "You're too young. <laughs> You're not even legal. <laughs> yeah. We cannot. We can't you even drive so a car. Finish, you must be a pilot." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? I'm coming to that story. So <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "We can't sponsor you. Come, come next year." So I said, "You know what? Imagine me being 15 years old." People at my age were thinking something else about me. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to waste any day of my life. I'm going to go to college and study aviation engineering because I was, after I finished, you see, we have this public college that everybody is welcomed in after you graduate from high school. And I went to study aviation engineering as a backup plan because plan A is to be a pilot. Plan B is to become an engineer. At least I'll be around aircrafts. Anything to keep me around them. And then eventually I will save up money and get my own license just in case, let's say, they, they shut the door and they said, hey, we won't, we won't, we won't take you. We won't pay for your, uh, for your uh, studies for, or your aviation license. And uh, so that's what happened. I applied for, I, I, I went to uh, the uh, local college, the Bymans, what is it called now? It's changed actually. It's different now. Higher Colleges of Technique. Yes, Higher Colleges of Technique. <laughs> that was a long time ago, yeah? So they changed the name. <laughs> so Higher Colleges of Technique. I studied uh, aviation engineering. And then at the same time, because I was not sponsored. So, you know, financially, you're 15, 16 years old. You're, you got no source of income. <laughs> so whatever. So uh, I was not one of those that went to my father or my parents and asked for money. And I worked for my own money. So while I was studying, I had two jobs. The first one was as a banker. So I got qualified as a personal banking advisor. Thank God that increased my financial IQ. The second one, yeah, the second job, I was working in public relations in the airport. And that's where it made my passion even grow bigger and bigger. So uh, I worked in, back then it was uh, Terminal 1 in Dubai. They didn't even build Terminal 3 at that time. 
So I worked in Terminal 1, and it was, it was a busy day for me. So in the morning, wake up in the morning, 6 o'clock till 1 o'clock to do, the, uh, to, do the, to do college. And then afternoon, I had to go to the bank to do my part-time job. And then in the evening, I had to go to the airport to do the other job. So my day would start at 6 in the morning, and it would end at 10 at night. And keep in mind, I was 15 years old. It's different rules there in these states. I believe you can drive at 15 or get a provisional at 15. Yeah, per- right? it's, we call it a permit, but it's probably the same as a provisional. Permit. Yeah. Here, you can only dr- start driving at 18. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so... Brother, was well, struggling. <laughs> <laughs> what you, did you take public transportation? Ask friends for rides? How'd you oh, get man. there? Talk about hitchhiking and talk about, yeah, talk about hitchhiking. So luckily, one of my neighbors at that time was used to live with my parents. I mean, still like, you know, trying to find my path. So in the morning, I used to hitchhike to go to college. In the afternoon, there was one guy who worked with me in the bank. So he drove and I used to hitchhike with him. And then in the evening, I'd take the bus from the bank to the airport and work there. When you're going um, through this whole process, did you ever think like, yeah. this is too hard, I can't do this? Or was your goal so big and what you wanted to do just like so real and you had to do it that you would, would do I, anything I, to get see, there? I'm, I'm, I'm stubborn, Justin. I am stubborn. You know, and life things are not given to you. You have to fight for it, you know? And especially if you come from a middle class, middle class, family, hardworking family, things are not just handed to you. You know, I was never born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I was, I was working hard for it. And you know, where was the breaking? The thing is, funny enough is when you say that people at some stage get to the breaking point and they just break and they're like, this is too hard. I cannot do it. The thing is, I reached the breaking point and I'll tell you what happened exactly. And so I was going from I was going from the from the bank to the airport, and I remember that day I had maybe three dollars in my pocket, three dollars in my pocket. So I was trying to get to my second job, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so with three dollars, I said to myself, "I'm just gonna keep walking and walking and walking and see where I can get because I ha- I I had like around forty five minutes." to spare. So I said, I'll walk them 45 minutes and then I'll hire a cab and I'll tell him, drive me until the meter reaches $3 and then you stop wherever it is because that's what I have. So that day, I remember, was middle of August and, you know, the heat here is unbelievable. And I've been walking and walking and walking and walking. And at that point, I remember this like it was yesterday. This was, keep in mind, this was like 13, 14 years ago. I kept walking and walking. And to myself, thinking about my life, you know, I'm like, nah, someday I will be somebody and I will, I will go places. I, imagine I told that to myself. I'm like, I will go places. I will not let, I'm not going to be like this for the rest of my life. I will go places. And then, so after having two jobs and studying in the morning, the... I don't know what happened. Just doors opened for me. So I got accepted and the cadetship program that is in my current company. And I got accepted in the cadetship program in the rival company. So 
I got accepted in both companies. Uh-huh. Decision time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, not just that, not just that. So after I got accepted and I went through the whole process, and because it's a long process that you have to do to get into the cadetship program. After I did that, both of them, I got accepted in both. And then one morning, like I was 5.30 in the morning, I get a call, phone call, 5.30. <laughs> I'm like, who is this calling at 5.30 in the morning? <laughs> who wakes up at this time? <laughs> so, and I get this call. He's like, this is Lieutenant so-and-so. I'm like, hello? And he's like, I'm calling you from the, uh, we have a military uh, flying academy as well. It's just for the soldiers. He's like, I'm calling you from the military flying academy. I'm like, yes. And I keep in mind, I never applied. But apparently the CVs and files, they just go around, yeah? So... And he said, uh, son, I don't know, we're all kids for them, you know? Yeah, for real. He's yeah. <laughs> like, my, my son, are you interested in becoming a military pilot? I'm like, say what? It's 5.30 in the morning. You know, the brain is still fun- not functioning. That's probably why they called you. They hope you say yes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You wanted to trick me. So he said, I'm calling you. And I went through your file. And I said to him, sir, I never applied. He said, no, we, we talked to the other airlines and we kind of get data from them. And we saw your college uh, uh, the, your, your college attendance and we know about you. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. So he said to me, would you, would you be interested in joining the Air Force as a military pilot? And I said, I do appreciate the offer. However, I would stick to civilian. Was that hard? Was that a hard um, decision to make? Is that like a very honored thing to, to be a military pilot be, over there? To be honest with you, to be honest with you, I th- to be honest, one of the, uh, everybody wants to be a pilot, whether it's civilian or in the military. At some point, if you're in the military, you always want to try to, and see what's, uh, all, you're always, sorry, uh, interested in knowing how is it on the other side, you know, being a civilian. When you're a civilian, you're like, how is it to be a military pilot? So, sorry, I'm hopping in and out and jumping topics, but there's a lot. Wow, this, <laughs> you know, I, I'm loving it. Time. Keep going. Yeah. And there's a lot to share, you know. So, for, going, going, fast forwarding to 2017, what happened was there was a rule in the UAE that says everyone who's below the age of 30 has to join military compulsory military service for a compulsory military service. So, and if you're a pilot, let's say, you will go straight to the Air Force because you already have the hours, you have the experience, and then they divide you there. So I kind of have a bit of both worlds. Full-time, I do the 777 for the, for the company that I'm working with. Once I did the initial training and everything, keep in mind, once a year, I do a refresher for the King Air 350 because that's what I fly in the military. So I got... I was blessed. I got a bit of both worlds. Oh, nice. That's cool. So are you, yeah. have you served your two years and you stayed in the military and you still do that? Or is that just that temporary time for those two years? No, no, you just, I'm, I'm going to be doing this for the next, till I'm 45. Okay. So I'll be flying in the military till I'm 45. I just did a refresher in, uh, in October and uh, I do one refresher every year just to keep me parent on my aircraft. So you get the best of both worlds and you get to fly the King Air, you get to fly a nice little piston plane or turbine piston plane, sorry, or turbine plane, not piston. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you I'm get to find like, the big boys. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. It's always fun to, so, to fly a smaller plane. And I feel like a lot of airline pilots or freight pilots, they always look at some small turbine planes or piston planes like, man, it'd be cool to fly one of those again. And here you are getting to do that. Exactly. The thing is, the, the, the funny part is it makes you humble as well. Because I'm on the reserve army, you see. So I'm on the reserve. I'm not uh, part of the, the full-time soldiers that work there. So being, being on the reserve, you're basically even <clears throat> your rank as, as a reserve soldier. So when you're there, there'll be a 20 years old lieutenant that you salute to. And you keep saying to yourself, you're like, I'm an airline captain and I'm saluting to a 20 years old kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. You know, so, you know, in a way, in a way, to be honest, it makes you humble as well. It gives you, because sometimes people kind of, thank God it never happened to me, but you see when they get to certain stages in life or the peaks in their career, they become arrogant about things and uh, it gets to their head, it gets to their head, you know. I think life made sure it never gets to my head because <laughs> once a year I go there and I salute uh, sometimes a 19 years old. <laughs> yeah, that'll humble you I'm real sorry. quick. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's so, pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your training. Um, when you got selected in the cadet program, what was the process for you to become a pilot with your airline? So basically... What happens is, and keep in mind, it keeps on changing. It keeps on changing. depends on the airline. It depends, depends on the recruiting team. So it keeps on changing. My, my selection process for both airlines that I applied for, the local airlines that I applied for, they were the exact same. So what happens is, first of all, you apply and they look at your profile. They look at who you are as a person, who, if you have, God forbid, God forbid, any criminal record. They ask for all these documents. So, of course, you come out of high school. So you don't have much, basically. You just take your high school diploma, we call it here. And then, then the grilling starts. So you start with uh, physics, English, and math exam. So you do these three. And then you go again. You wait for a couple of days. They will either call you back or send you a thank you letter. If they call you back, it means you made it. So it's, it's all phases. So phase one is you just hand in your, or you just apply for the job, let's say. Then they will call you in. You will do your English, physic, math exam, and then they will call you in for phase two. Phase two, they, they have a name for it. Let me try to, rem- try to remember now. It's been years. So psychometric, yes. Psychometric exam. Psychometric exam. It's basically, it's a program. It's a computer program. You sit down and, yeah, you sit down. It's a computer program that tries to test your IQ and it tries to put you under pressure and stress you out. So you just have to be calm about it. It's like a video game, to be honest. You know how to, similar to an IQ test, but slightly, slightly different. Just to see, I believe it's just to see how you perform under stress. And with limited time, like they give you three minutes to sort, to sort out a few shapes and certain uh, just to see your situation awareness about things and how quick you are and do you collapse under stress or do you perform better under stress, these kind of things. 
And then in the same phase, phase two, you have uh, an actual IQ test. This similar IQ test that you see online, that you have to change the sh- check the shapes, the patterns, numbers, sequences. I believe they're common worldwide because it's only one test. The same thing that we do, the IQ test. And then uh, after that, you go sit to the psychologist. It tells you about your results. Asks you a few people might think silly questions, but they just want to see how you react. Like, for example, for instance, one of my friends uh, is a captain in one of the airlines now. Uh, they asked him, they put, a, they put a cup in front of him, sorry, a glass of water in front of him. And she said to him, I want you to swim in the cup. You know what he did after she asked him that question? Pour the water all over him. <laughs> one guy did that, but you know what he did? <laughs> What? <laughs> he took a picture, uh, a, a per, like, you know, them small pictures, what do you call them? The passport, passport size picture. He yeah. had it in his wallet for some reason. He took it out and he put it in the cup. He's like, <laughs> there you go. Me, I'm there. <laughs> That's awesome. You're hired. Yeah, good job. Yeah. <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> That's so funny. So, uh, so they just, just try to test you and see how you react. Because the most important thing about our job is how to keep calm in stressful situations. And how to deal with with uh, certain scenarios while being calm. So that was phase two, and then phase three was an interview with the HR, of course, and two other pilots. They were kept. They were actually chief pilots at that time, and they just ask random, random questions. If you're interested in knowing some of the questions, I'm happy to share. Oh no, it should be okay. Unless it's, you have one that you it's think all is online, is it's it's all online, yeah. so you can you can all look it up. That's cool. Uh, and then after that, yeah. do you get on with the airline? If they say yes, they call you back. They take like a week to look over your file, or is it an immediate? Hey, welcome, start training. Good luck. So, so basically, after the you see the thing is with aviation, especially as a flying career, you never know. You never know. God forbid when which phase will stop you. Because you could pass all this and you can pass the interview. And after you pass the interview, what happens is you go to the medical, the medical assessment. And if there's something, if you're medically not fit based on their, their medical standard, because their, their, their medical assessment is they have a certain standards. It's not the normal checkup that you go for your, the general, to your general doctor. They have a certain they have certain standards that they follow. So after you pass the medical assessment, then you go to college. You go to the flying academy. My apologies. You go to the flying academy. So then you start a new chapter. So you're in, but you're not quietly in in yet. So you start in the flying school. You do ground school, and after you do ground school, if you if you pass the ground school, then you continue to the then you start your actual flying on the Cessnas, and then the diamonds, the A42, or depends. Each each college or each flying school have their own single engines and twin engines. So for us, so a single engine was the famous Cessna 172. And uh, an hour, imagine our time, we had a glass cockpit, so we were so spoiled at that time. But we had one, we had one 172 conventional. Whoever was like, Whoever had an attitude or they wanted to punish him in the way, they make him fly the conventional one. 
Good luck. Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Do the tea. Do the yeah. tea. What tea? What tea? Do the tea. Scan the tea. What tea are you talking about? <laughs> that's hilarious. How do I use this? Uh, <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so then after you finish from the ground school and you do your hours and you have to, of course, the single engine, then you do your solo uh, before that. Then you do the cross country and then you go to the uh, multi-engine. Then you collect, you keep on accumulating hours and then you graduate. Then the real thing starts and you go to, back to the airline and get your first jet type rating. Mine was the 320, the Airbus 320. And uh, that was my first jet. So did the 320. They give you the whole type rating, the whole simulator, the whole course is laid out for you. So I did the 320. And then from there, I went to the 330. And then 340, triple, uh, triple, and then 78. And then now currently, I'm just single rated on the 777. But that was my career path when it comes to flying. When you're in the process of doing the the cadet program and you're not, let's say you're to the ground school phase. If you fail that ground school, are you out completely? You have no other chances to get back in? Or is it something where they're like, all right, we selected you. We can work with you and we'll try to figure out how to make this work. You see, the thing I noticed about aviation, uh, from my flying, flying, uh, flying school days until now, it's all about the integrity. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, Let's say if you fail one of the subjects, they give you a second chance. They even have a tutor for you to, to help you out and pass that, that subject. But if you caught cheated, or, or you caught, sorry, cheating, that's it, you're out. I would agree with you. I think so, aviation is huge on integrity because if you're going to do something, absolutely. yeah, I mean, they want to make sure that you... You're a man or woman of your word, and they want to make sure that you aren't going to do shady stuff like that. Because why would they trust you with a multi-million dollar aircraft with hundreds of lives in the back when you can't even be trusted to take a test without cheating? Exactly. Same same like later on when when you join the airline as well. We we human beings, we, of course, there's no margin for error in our job. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are certain errors that happen. and minor of course not major incidents the thing is we of course we have reports that we need to write so as long as you admit that yes i made a mistake and i admit it and you write it down and you be honest and that's what they want and they don't want someone to god forbid make a mistake and then try to hide it out because it might affect the next person that's going to take the aircraft from you so That's why you have the you have the training a whole department just to train the pilots. You have a team that that sits God knows how long they plan for the simulator sessions. They collect all the data from the safety, they sit together, they'd be like, okay, we have a peak in let's say uh, incursions or let's say uh, in scanning or there's been this incident or that incident. So they kind of study the cases that they get from the safety and then they tailor simulator programs for us. So, and let's not forget aviation, aviation is not that old. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. So we're still learning every day. We're learning something new. Yeah. We're learning from our mistakes. We learn from others' mistakes from different airlines. From, and that's how it happens in the, in the pilot community. We always, Hey, by the way, be careful from this here and this airport. 
that day this happened to me watch out so it won't happen to you so we always try to educate each other about what to do and what not to do in certain places because you know it's it's vast this this business you have how many procedures different continents different airports different rules and regulations and ah it can go on and on and on and on so that's that's what we do yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to hear kind of how similar the two systems are. I mean, they're way different and similar at the same time. Like the mindset is similar and how they treat integrity and kind of the process of getting there. It's just a different way of getting there because we don't really have the cadet style in the States that might be more common uh, out East, uh, it, whether it's for good or for bad. And I think the, the States are eventually going to move that way. And they were moving that way before coronavirus hit and when the pilot shortage, how it was kind of forcing their hand in that way. But uh, it's very interesting to hear the two different sides. Can you, so I don't know how much you know about coming a pilot in the States, but it's kind of, it almost seems like it's harder, but easier at the same time. It's more access for everyone to become a pilot and it's easier just to become a pilot, but it's difficult and can be hard to build your time in order to get on with an airline. And it sounds like the process, it's easier to get your ratings, but it's harder to get from a 250-hour commercial pilot to sitting in a Airbus or a 737. And that process can be really daunting and really long. And a lot of people kind of walk away from it because it's just a low money and they don't think it's worth it anymore. Looking at the two sides, yeah, it's, it's a, it is, yeah, for sure. Since you can kind of look at, you went through that side and you can kind of see other, whether it's colleagues or whether just what you see on Instagram or people you talk to, do you think that the cadet program is the best way or do you have any knowledge about uh, doing it the other way? Do you think one's better than the other or do you think they both work I know in different ways? The, I, to, be, to be honest with you, as I mentioned before, the, to, get your, to get your license, it is expensive. It's, it's very expensive. So unless you come from a, a, what is the word? Aristocratic? Yeah, aristocratic family. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so if you if you come from that, then fine. But uh, in general, it's really expensive. And the problem is, okay, you might you might find the funds. I'm talking now about the Western way. Yeah, you might find the funds, and you might go and work in a flying school. You might be an instructor in the flying school and accumulate your hours and keep going on and on and on. But the thing is, the problem is, that's the loop. You see. You can never get jet hours, and that's where people struggle. So you can get your ATPL, but it's frozen because you need 1,500 jet hours to get to the airline business. And that's where people in the airline will actually start looking at your profile or CV once you have the 1,500 jet hours. And that's where people struggle. But for us, they kind of cut it short. They said... We're going to be investing in you. So we'll invest in you now, and then we'll milk it for the next 10, 15, 20 years. <laughs> You'll pay it back. Yeah. <laughs> you pay us back. And that's what happened because it's certain, at a certain point, to be honest with you, back then when before the pandemic and all, the good, the good old days, what happened was uh, we had a cadet pilot program for the, for the non-Emirati, the non-locals just to give an opportunity to everyone. And after you get, after you get the license, the rule was, or one of, the con- one of the main conditions was, you sign a contract, it's a bond, and you need to work for five years after you finish your 
flying. You, after you finish from the flying school and get your license, of course, no one will complain because you got the license or paid for, and then you have a secure job. So a lot of people actually applied for it. And then things changed and politics, company policies. I don't want to get into that because I don't know the full story, but uh, in a way it's helped a lot to actually achieve their goals. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a dream to a lot of people, to be honest. Yeah, it sounds like a, a great way for them to to give them an opportunity. And unfortunately, in aviation, good things don't last forever, as we've seen. Uh, you never know how, how long you'll be able to take that upgrade. That's the importance of getting your seniority number. I, I think that's probably how, I don't know if that's how it works over there. Is seniority huge there or is it more of a merit-based? It is It's same. It's same like uh, the other airlines. Seniority is important. The thing is, you have a captain seniority list and the first officer seniority list. And once you get upgraded, to the the good thing about our company is when you get upgraded to, to become a captain, you keep your seniority. So whatever your seniority number is, you kind of jump. You don't go. Some airlines, once you become a captain as a first officer, you go at the bottom of the list and you start over again. But for us, if you're a first officer, let's say who did ten years, and there's a captain, a senior captain who just joined three years ago and you get upgraded you become senior over him that's how it is you become his well senior in the states yeah that's that's how it happens there in the states it's like, oh, okay brilliant brilliant yeah so you don't go at the bottom of the list right well it, usually i would say most of the time once you get the opportunity to upgrade you take the upgrade so usually you do go to the bottom of the list but say for some okay. reason you say you and I are the same company and you took the upgrade two years before me, but I'm technically senior than you. If I took the upgrade two years later, then I would still be senior to you, if that makes sense. Once oh, okay. I take the upgrade. I get you. So it is very similar in that aspect. I think it's I Europe that's mostly merit-based or it might even just be Ryanair. I don't <laughs> it could just be that one airline. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, looking where you are now and your path when you finally got to jets what was your experience like doing company training in big jets versus doing training in a small diamond or a small cessna uh, the thing is at the beginning everything was so fast like for example in the simulator yeah we depart from from uh, x airport and we're flying to y airport and the duration, of course, is just, let's say, 40 minutes. We arrive to airport Y, and I'm still in, a my mind is still in airport X. I'd be so behind. <laughs> I'd be like, what just happened? Yeah, wait, we're here? What? <laughs> Damn, what happened? Did you put the so gear down? That's Did what I they teach us. It, it, you see, the thing is, of course, each aircraft is different. And even the jets, each jet is different than the other, than the other jet. Uh, 320s are different, 30s are different, 340s are different, 78s are different, triples are different. So they each have their own kind of uh, characteristics that you'll get used to the more you're exposed to flying that particular jet. And when it comes to single engine and multi-engines with turboprops in general, it's you can still catch up. You know, you're fine. You can, it'll be one step, two steps ahead of the aircraft. When it comes to the to the jet, hence you have a lot of uh, it's, it's a different it's a different world. You have SOPs, you have procedures, you have the 
the airport regulations that you the the destination airport that you're going to the regulations there the the fuel policies so you have so many different information and of course when you start as uh so let's uh, i don't know how it works there if it's second officer or whatever you guys call it because when we graduate from the flying school or the flying academy we become second officers until we are released on the jet then we are junior first officers and then senior first officers and then of course captain so I'm not sure about the system there. Yeah, every airline has their own system. <laughs> yeah, every airline has their own system. So basically, uh, when you're a second officer, you have one bar. When you have when you're a, when you're a junior first officer, you have two bars. When you're a senior first officer, you have three bars. So as a junior first officer, everybody kind of gives you that look. Hey, buddy, you sure what you're doing? You know what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> so you only have one bar. Uh, what's going on? You know. Like the cabin crew look at you, they're like, mm-hmm, fresh meat. Does he know what he's doing? <laughs> the captain, you know, look at you, looks at you. Of course, for us as well, we're being being like relatively young, yeah? He looks at you, he's like, hey, how many hours you got? <laughs> how many years have you been on this aircraft? <laughs> have you been to this airport before? You know, so, and I don't blame them, to be honest. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Just normal. So uh, then you start building, you start building experience. So at the beginning, I'd say, the thing is, we all we all been in the same situation. Like we all been that new kid in the block that didn't know where to report, where to check in, what to do, how to fill a certain form, and not even knowing certain uh, information where to get it from. We all been there, you know. As long as you don't stay in that newbie box and you keep evolving by, of course, increasing your knowledge and just improving yourself because some people have the tendency of just staying where they are and they don't even want to be captain. You're like, I'm happy here. Um, I know my stuff. I'm here. I'm happy. I got paid. I don't want to continue on getting my command upgrade. So they stay where they are. And that's where you become kind of idle. Complacent and idle. Yeah. Complacent, idle, just do the job, chalks on, let's go home. And that's what we try to avoid. That's why I believe, and this is me personally, uh, there's always, there should be always a new challenge. There should be always keep, keep busy, keep busy. What's next? Okay. You got, I became a second officer. My aim, first officer, senior first officer, captain, trainer, examiner, and just work on yourself because for us, as human beings, we can we can either be complacent or just keep challenging ourselves and competing with ourselves. Me personally, I never compete with others. I never compete with others. We always we all have our own time frame. You know, some days you're ahead, you sometimes some days you're behind. But I compete with myself. I'm like, where was I last year? This year I want to be better than what I was last year. So the only person I compete with is myself. Yeah, that's good. I always say, and I, I played sports my whole life and I took it in college and I played at a, at a relatively high level, but uh, my coaches would always say you're either getting getting better or getting worse. There's no staying in the middle. So if you're ever having a day where you're not improving, someone else is improving better more than you and they're getting better than you, hence you're getting worse. So there's no just constant staying in the middle. There's just one, there's either better or worse. There's no in the middle. Exactly. Exactly. I 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. 
What was the most difficult part of your training? Other than when you were younger and you're hitchhiking and you only had $3 in, in a cab, what was the most difficult part for you? Was it the flying? Was it the studying? Um, I think you kind of mentioned that the stress didn't really get to you. You're kind of a chill guy. So what was it for you that was most difficult? To be honest with you, getting a command upgrade in a pandemic, that was something i never seen before. I could write a book about it. <laughs> That was something, yes, honestly, that was something I've never, ever experienced in my 13 years being in this company. Never. And thing is, you already have the, uh, the stress of, of course, I call it, it's a good stress. It's a controlled stress because you cannot be too relaxed as well. If you're too relaxed, then you're not, you don't have that edge to study, you know, to be Hey, you know what? I need I need to sharpen up. I need to study more. I need to do this. Otherwise, if you're too relaxed, you're too complacent, and then boom, you're shocked, you know, with your end results on the other side. So uh, it was good stress. So having the having the the command of great course, it's a stress on its own that you deal with. But then on top of it, you have the stress of being in a pandemic. So Things, things got changed for us. Like everywhere, you go, for example, you'd go in, uh, you'd go in uh, from Geneva, you'd go to the lake, you'd go to Zurich, have this there, breakfast in breakfast in Brussels, uh, sorry, mussels in Brussels, breakfast in Maldives, yeah, mussels in Brussels, uh, breakfast in the Maldives, and so on and so on. And then suddenly, that dream was gone, you know? It's like it was a reality check for us. Boom, wake up. <laughs> you know? So uh, now you go to certain destinations, of course, for political reasons. I cannot mention which country, what are the procedures. Uh, but let's say X country, you go there and basically you're locked in a room for four or five days. So you're in a room quarantining four or five days and then you come back again to your base, your home base, you're quarantining again until your next flight. And then you do the next flight. You go to the certain destination, you're quarantined there. So from being, a, from being a global traveler to a global prisoner, unfortunately, yes. So that was, to be honest with you, that was the challenging part. Just had to keep my mind busy, like read books, um, keep in touch with my friends, Zoom, on Zoom, and have like video calls. And that's what kept me going on and on, just keeping busy and not thinking about the pandemic and the situation we're in. Keeping in mind, I was away from my family for, for quite a time. I was only one hour away in terms of where I was resident or my accommodation, but I, couldn't, I was not able to see them. Imagine because I've been traveling. So, and at that stage, at that stage, you do need the family support. You know, you want to see, you want to be with the wife, the child, and that kind of de-stresses you. But imagine being locked up in a room, studying for the, for the command upgrade and preparing for your command upgrade. Same time there's a pandemic going on and every airport you go to is, is quarantined and you have certain procedures and PCR or let's say uh, swap test I don't know if you guys call it the same thing, the PCR test, which is a swap test, right? PCR. 
PCR in, PCR out, PCR in, PCR out. And sometimes you do PCR out, you arrive to the destination, they do a PCR test for you there before you leave another one. It was tough. It was tough. Looking back, I'm like, God, thank God now it's easing, easing up. But at the beginning, so I had two stresses, the stress of the command upgrade, just to just to pass it. When I, I wanted to just go smooth, no mistake, no issues, and just to pass it smoothly because we've been waiting for it for a long time. And then the other stress was dealing with this pandemic. And that was the most challenging time in my I ever experienced in my whole career, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's definitely a challenging time and it sounds like you were able to get it done. So that's good. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, Hats off to all my other colleagues as well. Bless them. Some people till till today, they didn't see their families for the past six, seven, eight months since this whole thing started. And, uh, you know, being pilots, you need to have, of course, you need to be medically fit. At the same time, you need to be mentally fit as well. And, you need to keep calm and stress-free. So being away, being away from their families for this long, it's very challenging. So to be honest with you, respect to all of them, to all my colleagues, every single one of them that's been away from the family. It's been hard times. That's why now it's so important just to stay together, keep in touch, you know, pick up the phone, call, call your friends, call your colleagues, call this person. You know that even a hello, a good morning, it won't hurt, you know. It just leaves a good, a nice impact because at the end of the day, uh, we are human beings, right? We still have emotions and feelings. So uh, it's, it's, that's what's the most important, just to stick together and be together in this whole pandemic. Culturally over in Dubai or the UAE, uh, being a pilot, is that a very respected job? Is that something that people that look up to you like they do maybe doctors or athletes or... Um, is it is it not as respected? Because here in the states, being a pilot, I mean, in the sixties was probably like you were you were famous, like people loved you, loved looking up to <laughs> you, and it's kind of gone down a lot. I didn't know if that was similar over there or if you're still like a rock star. I'm still a rock star. You're still a rock star. <laughs> That's good. Well, we're all rock stars in our own minds, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, you see, to be honest with you, uh, the nice thing about my community, the nice thing about my community is. Whatever profession you're in, whether you're a pilot, of course, pilots are, now they're scared of us because, uh, you know, we're more exposed to the, to the virus. <laughs> so they're like, oh God, you're a pilot? Stay away. <laughs> but luckily now, the thing is, the one, you see, we, I always try to see things in a positive way. One of the positive things that this pandemic did, uh, thank God, I don't receive many calls asking for like... Uh, you know, discounted tickets and book me this and book me that. And change this, change that. I mean, yeah, before I felt like travel. I'm a <laughs> traveler agent, you know. <laughs> but that didn't happen because you know how it is, <laughs> you know. And um, every all the professions are, are respected here. As long as you're contributing to your society, as long as you're contributing to your community, whether you're a pilot, a doctor, uh, whatever profession that is out there, it's all respected, to be honest. Because here, uh, although we don't have that, I'm not sure what is it called back in the states, minimum wage, or what was it called? The we don't we we uh, we don't have that minimum wage scheme. However, all the professions here are respected, although they have different uh, pay scale, but they are all respected. And as long as you're contributing 
to the society, to your community, you are respected. Um, when it comes to pilots, they, yes, I'd say, yes, they are on a sort of a pedestal because of the nature of their job, because it's interesting. No matter where you go in the world, you say, hey, what do you do? I'm a pilot. Oh, how does this happen? How does that happen? What do you do here? What do you do there? It's always an interesting topic. It's always an interesting topic. Anywhere you go, of course, how do you know that uh, this particular individual, he or she works in an airline? They'll tell you so. By the way, I'm a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he'll try, he'll try to bring it up. <laughs> he'll try to bring it up somehow. I don't say it anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, if you could give, so we'll, we'll kind of end with this question and then I have a rapid fire section, but this, this question, if someone listening to this, um, they could be in Dubai, they could be in the UAE, they want to be a pilot. Let's say they're 15. Maybe they haven't graduated high school because they're not super genius like you, but let's say they're in the position <laughs> where they want to apply for these cadet programs. They see how the virus has affected this industry and how it's really kind of uh, made people second guess a career in this industry. What do you say to someone? Maybe you give them like three tips, five tips, one tip, whatever you want. What would you say to someone that is in the current phase of either applying to cadet program or in the cadet program and doing their training at this time? So basically, uh, you know, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who reach perfection and they don't try to improve anymore, being satisfied with their achievements. They're like, we reached this pedestal, we are here. That's whether you're 15 or you're 30 years old, because you see the flying passion never dies. It starts young, but it never dies. You might detour, go to another profession, but eventually you will come back because you hear a lot of stories of people who started, they stopped, went, did something else, and they came back. So these ones, and then you have you have another group that another another division of people who after their first failure after their first attempt they give up the whole thing and they they have that bitter taste in the back of their mouth and they're like that's it i don't want it anymore so my advice is for the first, for the first group that reached and achieved let's say you're a captain and tri tre example yeah that group, I say, stay humble. Just stay humble. Be hungry for more knowledge and expand your horizons. For the second group, my sole advice is never give up. Because once you give up, that's it. You have, you have 12 more rounds, 15 more rounds. You have your whole life, your whole life to fight, you know? So never give up. And I mentioned it before about the competition. Never compete with others. Never compete with others. Compete with yourself. We are all running in our own marathons. Honestly, I, I had a long marathon, but eventually, once you reach the finish line, oh God, what a feeling, Justin. I'm telling you, what a feeling. You know, it, it, honestly, it doesn't come overnight. Success doesn't come overnight. You know, you will have a lot of failures, a lot of heartbreaks. And when you fail, Pick yourself up, get back up, and thrive forward. Just keep going forward. Just have aim at your goal and say, I want to be there in 10 years, 15, 20, as long as it takes. You know, if you give up, then oh, what's the point? We, we're, what, what's your goal? What's, what's your next goal? So keep that goal. Keep your goal. 
even if it takes a long, long time to reach, keep it there. And of course, and, and of course, and to be honest with you, uh, the thing is, if I can do it, if it was done before, everybody can do it, to be honest with you, you know, and just before you wrap it up, a quick one, a quick one. This is people there that are listening. They will like this one. So one of the nights I was, I was in a shift in Terminal 1 in Dubai Airport, and you'd always see the different airlines, yeah, you've got Lufthansa, Emirates. So I made friends with this captain in fine gentleman. I'd say he's retired now in a boat somewhere. <laughs> you know? so, so somewhere. And I remember seeing him, he was the captain and his first officer and his crew. And they, the way they walked to check in their bags, it was so majestic. <laughs> you know, it was something from movies, from a movie. So every time I went there, and I'd always say hello. And I'd be like, good morning, sir. Good evening, this, that. So one of the evenings, I went there. And I said, hey, good evening, uh, Captain. Where, where are you going? Where are you flying tonight? And uh, it was, I believe, Frankfurt or Munich, one of, one, of the, one of those two. And he was flying the 777 at that time. I said, oh, wow, that's really, really nice. And of course, I, I made a connect, I had a bond with him. We connected, we had a, a bit of a bond. And every time I see him, I say hello. And we have that small chit chat. So that evening, he said, what time you you finish your shift? I'm like, I'm going to be done in another an hour and a half. He said, do you have access to the main terminal inside? And I said, uh, yes, I do. And he said, do you want to come and see the flight deck? I'm like, cha-ching, yes, please. <laughs> so I said, no worries. Once you come to the aircraft, because I'm, I, back then when I worked in the airport, I had authority to go all the way to the aircraft uh, door, and then I wouldn't be allowed in. So I was there standing by the door. The cabin was like, you're Khalil? I'm like, yes. He's like, yep, he's expecting you. Go ahead. You know where to go. Uh, went in the flight deck. and It was the first time I see a triple in the flight deck. And I was like, wow. You know, and he's like, what do you think? I'm like, this is beautiful. So I said to him, and I remember this like it was yesterday. I said to him, hopefully one day I'll be, I'll be sitting here. And I was pointing at the first officer's seat. And you know what he said to me? He said, don't aim at that seat. Aim at where I'm, I am sitting here. Aim on becoming a captain. Because if you didn't become a captain, if you aim really high and you don't get that goal, at least you'll get the second, the second best thing. You get my point, right? Anyway, aim high. At least if you don't get what you want, you'll get the second best. So I said, and that was 14, 14 years ago. And here we are today. Commanding a triple seven around the globe. My it. wife still doesn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> like you did that? What? They let you fly an airplane? <laughs> what? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I love it, man. That's so cool. Uh, it's been fun talking to you. I have one quick section yeah, for you. Me, this is called the rapid Please. fire section. So I'm going to ask you some random aviation questions. You say the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, the quickest answer possible, no explanation whatsoever. All right. All right, all right, cool. What's your favorite airplane overall ever made? Favorite airplane? 77. What about corporate aircraft? Mm, Challenger. What about a smaller uh, piston plane? Cessna 172. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Mm, Made more money. (laughs) (laughs) True. 
We're never paid enough, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Who is one person in this industry that you would like to meet most? It could be like a, a trailblazer or a trendsetter from back uh, from history. It could be someone on Instagram you look up to. Who's one person that you wish you could meet? Ah, uh, one person. One person. It would be our first astronaut, Mansour. And uh, Mansour Hazal Mansouri, the first astronaut to the. Uh, to went to the International Space Station. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. Uh, what's your overall yeah. favorite thing about aviation? The food. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Oh, tricky one. Tricky one. Oh. Favorite airport? Seychelles. What is your least favorite? Dublin. <laughs> it gets pretty windy there, no? Although my wife is Irish, keep in mind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you had to say that really quietly, like, don't tell yeah, yeah, she's not here. She's not around. She's not around. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We'll cut this part out. Don't worry. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, let's see. What is your go-to airport food? So let's say you have a connecting flight. Uh, let's do local. So let's say you're connecting uh, at mm. your local airport. What's your go-to food at a local airport? Okay. One thing is the no-go item is coffee. Yeah. No coffee, no go. <laughs> so I bring now um, because the airport uh, closures and there's nothing else. It's sad, you know, it's nothing open. So I bring my own coffee pod on board and I make it myself. Uh, usually, uh, depends where we are, to be honest. Depends where we are. There's always something. There's always something. However, I usually keep it light because, you know, to keep focus, not too heavy. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those. If I eat too heavy, I become drowsy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Would you rather uh, fly over mountains, beaches, or cities, or oceans? Mm, beaches. Airbus or Boeing? If you had to choose one, you can only choose one plane. So like the best of the best. So you could either choose the Boeing 787 or an Airbus Boeing. 380 or Boeing. All right. You know, it's cheesy. If it ain't Boeing, we ain't going. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Same with coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. What's your overall favorite airline livery? Favorite airline livery. The formal livery on the 7-8 in, on, in Etihad. Okay. I like it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Would you rather beautiful. fly one very, very long trip? I mean, as far as the 777 will take you or as many short trips as you could do in a day in the King Air? The King Air, when the turbulence hit? Oh, my God. So, <laughs> definitely... I'd go anywhere in the seven eight. All right, there we go. What is the hardest check ride? Which I think they should, they still call them check rides there, right? Yeah. What's the hardest check ride you've ever had? Two thousand twelve, three forty to Riyadh. That thing won't land. <laughs> we had a <laughs> we had a, an inversion. Oh my god, it won't land. <laughs> That's funny. Come on, please. <laughs> <laughs> please. Yeah. <laughs> What's the biggest win you've had in your career? So the happiest moment of your life in aviation. The happiest moments in aviation when I got my command. Yeah. If you have one, what's the biggest regret you have of your career so far? Hmm. Interesting. None. Good. It's okay to have none. Yeah. None. Yeah. yeah. Some people might be like, oh, I should have turned the fuel selector to off and when, I, when I was coming to the land. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> You know, the thing is, the thing is, sorry if I may interrupt you there. The thing is, one, one senior captain always told me, when they give you an offer on the table, take it. No matter what it is, take it. And that's what I, what I did. 
320. They said, you want to go to 340, uh, 330? Yes, I did that. 340, yes. Triple, yes. 78, yes. Never say, no, I'll stay where I am because of this or that. Always keep moving forward. That's, that's what I believe. Uh, what is yeah. your favorite airline overall? So if you could fly first class, business class, long flight, what would you choose? Mm, to fly as a passenger? Or yeah, as a, your passenger. As a passenger. Where to or which class? Uh, let's do both. Where to? So to be honest with you, in every continent, I have a favorite place. So uh, east to west, uh, Melbourne. Melbourne, Tokyo. Melbourne, Tokyo. Uh, Middle East, I've seen it all. I mean, yeah, Middle East, let's keep it aside. I've seen it all. So it looks too similar. So I'm, I'm in Dubai, so it's not being arrogant. Not being arrogant, but <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> Everybody comes to us, you know. So uh, then uh, in Africa, South Africa, Europe, to be honest with you, Ireland. I love Ireland. Just not Dublin. Not Dublin. Yeah, not <laughs> Dublin. I land in Dublin and that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, those are all the rapid fire questions I have for you. You have successfully passed that section and that's the end of the podcast. Khalil, I appreciate you coming on the podcast so much. Uh, Thank you to Rico again for for setting this up. It's always great to talk. The podcast, unfortunately, just from being in the States, I know more people in the States. It's very focused on aviation in the States, but aviation is huge worldwide and everyone loves the idea of being on coming a pilot. It doesn't matter if you live in the States or you live anywhere in the country. The idea and the goal or the the, the mystique of flying an airplane is out there everywhere. So I want to keep reaching to, to more audiences and I appreciate you for being a part of this. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Actually, it was really nice talking to you, Justin. And that was, uh, that was fun. My God, one hour, 10 minutes and I didn't even feel it. I know, right? It's a <laughs> lot of fun. Maybe we'll get you on again sometime in the future. Definitely. definitely be Perfect. Pleasure. Well, thanks, Khalil. I appreciate it. And that is a wrap of episode 151 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Aviation, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, let me know. You can either email me, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com or comment on my Instagram post, uh, the one picture of Khalil. Like I said earlier, it's very interesting to hear the differences between aviation in the UAE and in the States and to see what their viewpoint of it is, see how they've grown, see how Khalil has grown and his thought process as a pilot and what he determines as a successful pilot. So Aviation, thank you so much for listening like i said earlier leave a review do all that fun stuff and check out patreon i hope you guys are having a great day and as always happy flying